I got a little Benny Goodman for you tonight. A little moon glow, because no matter where or when or how you listen to or watch this show, I always envision somebody listening to it under the glow of the moon. That's my favorite setting. Even though this time of year I'm doing it, you know, in the dusky times of days, especially especially now that we're on the downside of daylight. But my favorite times to be going live at 7 o'clock, here in the Northeast at least, is in the times coming up in the next couple of months. That's it. That's it. I love the I love the I love the the sunlight, but I also love the moonlight. Sometimes I like moonless nights. But tonight is going to be a really good one because we have almost a full 2 hours with a return guest that we have not spoken to in a very long time, and that is Mr. Ryan Gable. He is a prolific author and researcher on uh hidden themes, whether it be history, uh, theology, whatever. It's it's incredible stuff that he does in the realm of the occult, and he's a wonderful broadcaster. We are going to be doing a lot of digging into a a recent thing. Two recent movie releases that came out simultaneously that you would think on the surface would have nothing to do with each other, but are eerily um, walking in lockstep with a lot of things, and we're going to talk about that tonight. It is the mixing of Barbie with Oppenheimer, and um, and the Barbenheimer meme that has been born in the last couple of weeks, and some of it has not been taken very lightly by others in the world. We'll talk about that in a second, too. But in the meantime, I hope your hump day has been going well, and now it's hump night in New York and wherever the hell else you are. So, Ryan Gable, I have his link in the description of the episode here. Uh, thank you to all my sponsors on the affiliates page on quitefrankly.tv. Should be a good night afterward as well. Uh, around 8.30, 8.30 p.m. is when the after-hour programming is going to go live on quitefrankly.tv. And I am going to launch my session one stream for book club this August. It starts tonight. You've had months and months, and you still have time to get in on it, but tonight is going to be session one around 8.30 p.m., and and uh, so my night is a little bit longer than, than than usual tonight, and that's just where that's just where we're going with it. It's fine by me. Fine by me. A cozy night with books and a whole bunch of people who read the same thing. Oh, boy, oh, boy. So thank you, everybody, and thank you to all my friends on the affiliates page. Now into the grab bag. Well, are there any other announcements I can let you know? I've been doing some booking over here. I've been doing some booking. You know, tomorrow's our last show of the week. I'll probably do some live streaming from the YouTube, from my phone, if we have some good um, good reception over there at Giant Stadium as we are all uh, hanging out, getting ready for the, the Metallica concert. But Monday, Zoso Dude will be in studio here to talk about best worst concert experiences. That's going to be such a great, great time because that is one of the most answered, well-answered forum topics that I put out there for show threads. Then we have Mike Williams next week, August 9th. Mike Williams, Sage of Quay. We're going to be talking about the Beatles conspiracy, about the Beatles. That's going to be terrific. The day after that, August 10th. 
That's a Thursday. King Randall is coming back to talk about all of his work in uh, mentoring young boys who need male role models, uh, starting schools, and really doing all the legwork that will save souls, will save a country. King Randall's coming back. Haven't had him on in a couple years, so a lot to catch up on. Then on August 11th, that is next Friday, Matt will be in studio with Tony Black. Tony Black will be on for the first the first half, and then Matt and I will drive it home. So plenty, plenty more coming up. We've got great we've got great travel and culture guests that are coming on. Greg Carlwood is coming back. We've got Tristan Gooley, Isaac Weishaupt. Who else? Jeff Harmon, Jay Dyer in September. Uh, uh, Frank Frank Pellegrino and Chrissy Mayer are coming back on in September as well. There's going to be so much. I think we even got Dr. Even, uh, Eben Alexander to talk about proof of heaven. That'll be around September 28th. The night before that, Nurse Penny Whitbrote is going to be on to talk about her enthralling near-death experience. So, boy oh boy. Boy oh boy, do you have a lot of great things coming your way. And I can't wait to be a part of it myself. And I'll be in the driver's seat. I wish I was in the passenger seat for it. I might not I might uh, soak it in a little bit more. It's always at the end of the night. I'm just like, oh. And then I'm just dialing everybody I know. Hey, how'd that go? Well, don't you know? No, I don't know. It's just like when I, whenever we play gigs, especially back in the day, um, I would always ask people, so, hey, hey, what was the crowd reaction like during this, this song, during that song? Like, well, why can't you see it? It's like, I got too much going on behind the drums. I can't look at anything. I missed the entire show back there. I'm just a freak in the back of the stage. That's just a freak in the back of the stage. Oh, also, happy uh, bingo winning to Casey Kakalaki. I forgot to say this last night, but on Monday night, she won chat room bingo in the Gilded chat. You know how they generate bingo cards uh, every night? Well, here's what she won across the top, which is a little, uh, let's see here. Background stream. Somebody had the stream on in the background when they called in. A uh, call from Flat Albert. Speakerphone. Somebody had me on speakerphone. My future wife, Lauren. That is Mark Swan messing around again. But I had mentioned Lauren, which I think is a little ridiculous. Look, and Aurora it has her own thing there, too. I think that that is a ridiculous. I, you might as well put Lauren and Aurora as other free play boxes there. I'm going to mention them almost every night. But Casey won. And also, I can't believe I got through. That gave her five in the row. She almost, she almost got bingo on the way down, too. Almost got bingo on the way down, too. You know it's good. You know it has to be made a little bit more challenging when you can get double, triple bingo. All right. Anyway, congratulations, Casey. She wins pride. The pride of winning. All right, headline coming from Florida, so you know it's bad. Crocodile fears mount after brutal fatal attack with warning to keep close eye on small children and pets. Last night it was leprosy. Now it's crocodiles. Then we have frozen lizards falling from the sky, uh, vomiting vultures, horny peacocks, herpes-ridden monkeys. These are all, these are all, I remember them all. I'm probably forgetting a few. That's why I'm not going to Florida when it's time to get out of here. 
I'll go there for vacation. I'll visit friends, no doubt about it. But I can't handle this. Got enough problems with the uh, the local uh, the local fauna over here in New York. Can't. A crocodile has been spotted eating a small dog in Florida Canal, causing horror and upset among residents. The creature ate a pet dog, a pug, while locals looked on in horror. Members of the community are now calling for increased safety measures in the area. The incident happened near Lake Shepherd, about 15 miles south of Cape Canaveral. Uh, it has this dog's front leg in its mouth. The dog was just completely limp, so it had clearly already drowned. Robert Petit told Fox News affiliate WOFL. When I saw the dog, I was like, that's someone's pet, and they don't even know what happened to it yet. It's so hard to see. So you got to watch out. They're going after, uh, they're going after, uh, humans too they're going after them what do you want what do you want they're just crocodiles they're, they're dinosaurs for god's sakes all right here we go daredevil a daredevil's dead i want to get a daredevil stunt man stunt woman on this show actually but this stuff i can't stand it's one thing to say i want to jump I want to jump across 58,000 cars with a giant ramp in my motorcycle. I can almost understand that. I want to jump across some chasm at the Grand Canyon. But these people who climb up to the highest points and just dangle, I can't stand them. I can't stand these people. They're probably very wonderful people when they're not dangling. But the... I don't know. It's very triggering for me. Like, how dare you? You know, you're, all you do is cause everybody else anxiety. How dare you? It's not even a skill. I mean, you obviously, fear is something that you need. Obviously. I wonder what scare them. When you can do that every day, find new places to dangle off from your fingernails, 67 stories up, what scares you? Daredevil Remy Lucidi, 30 years old. Known for Instagram stunts, dies after falling 721 feet from the top of a 68-story Hong Kong skyscraper, having posted final video from another high-rise. That's a long way down to think about what's going on. That's a long way down. He fell from the top of a Hong Kong residential skyscraper as he attempted to pose for a photograph. Um... Known for his Remy Enigma on social media has reached the 68th floor of the 721 Tregunter Tower, a residential block in Hong Kong's upscale mid-levels area before his fatal fall. The young adventurer had been seen by a maid knocking on the windows of the penthouse to get let back inside the building, but fell to his death before any help could arrive. My God. On the evening of his death last Thursday, Frenchman Lucidi had arrived at the tower at 7.30 p.m. telling a security guard that he was visiting a friend on the 40th floor. See, this is the kind of stuff. Going right to the edge and then dangling his feet off and then, then they all get down on their hands and knees and they lower themselves down by their hands and they just dangle there. And I don't get it. I don't get it. It just pisses me off. Like, why? The long way down. Damn, look at that tower. Sheesh. Jeez, lovely. See? Again. Again. 
So I don't know why this happens. I would love to talk to somebody who who can who's in this line of work, and I'll tell them. I, I have to say that what you do is infuriating. Infuriating. I don't want to see you die, but I'm infuriated with you. So I have to. Um, well, we'll figure that out. But daredevil stuff. It doesn't even seem daredevilish anymore. I think a daredevil. What do you think of? I think of somebody hopping over something with a. Then again, there is, there is people the the tight you know the tight ropers. I can, I think I'm pissed off at them as well. I think I'm pissed at them as well. People who tight rope from building to building, I think they make me mad as well too. I'll figure this out on my own later on. Here's another one for you from Australia. New Zealand, I'm sorry. Mystery solved of a metal pole randomly cemented into the middle of a New Zealand woman's driveway. There's a perplexing mystery here. A pole that a woman found cemented in her driveway has been solved following a nationwide hunt for answers. I wish this is the only thing that we were hunting for. A woman who found a huge metal pole unceremoniously cemented into her driveway has finally got to the bottom of who put it there. Sophie Hucker drove back home last week to see the new uh, the new two-meter-high protrusion in the front of her garage. Quote, I thought, oh, someone got it delivered here by mistake, said the teacher who lives in New Zealand, the town of Taranga, 200 kilometers southeast of Auckland. But then I hopped out of my car to move it out of the way, and it had been cemented in. I couldn't move it. Look at this thing. There's a giant pole in her driveway. Miss Hucker's first thought was that the pole was the initial stage of a carport that had been placed on her property in error. However, none of her neighbors said that they were getting a carport built and all were baffled by the metal pole. They were as surprised as me. Uh, uh, they thought I was building something or maybe it was a basketball pole. I don't know what else you would do with it. Can you imagine this happened to you? I was trying to think about if this happened to me. Obviously, I'd be looking for answers as well. Assuming no one would ha would leave a single pole in the middle of a driveway, Miss Hucker left a note on the structure asking for whoever erected to call her and ask them to, under no circumstances, cement in any more poles. The perplexing pole became a talking point initially in New Zealand's Bay of Plenty region and then far beyond as sleuths tried to work out what had happened. Miss Hucker's students became involved too while she went to the local council for help. They said it wasn't anything to do with them. Everyone is very confused. After, I know, all the uh, the local DPW were, were doing vaccine checks with people. But after a week of collective bafflement, Ms. Hucker had sta uh, has stated that the construction conundrum has been solved. And more importantly, the poll is gone. It turned out to be a case of mistaken identity and address, Ms. Hucker said on social media. She added that it was uh, quite the muck-up by a fencing installation company who only realized the error they had made after the poll received widespread coverage. A bit funny, they were laughing about it after seeing it on the news before they realized it was their bad. As Hucker said, the firm came back, removed the pole, patched up the hole, and were apologet apologetic. They gave her a bottle of champagne to say sorry. Well, there you go. I'm so happy for this woman. Uh, either that, or it'd be like, oh, did, did a, a, a tungsten rod come down and, and strike, strike my... My driveway from low Earth orbit. Now that would be a little bit more destructive than that, but um, but yes, 
at least there's a happy ending there. So she got a bottle of champagne. Everything got taken care of. All right. I wish somebody would have uh, mistakenly remodeled my kitchen and then given me a bottle of champagne afterwards because that would have been a lot cheaper. Here's from The Independent. Now, this is something that the guy in the dog costume the other night should go and take note of. In China, there is a zoo that has been forced to deny that some of its sun bears are humans in costume. A zoo in eastern China has been forced to deny suggestions or allegations that some of its bears might actually be humans in costume after images of one of the animals standing up in its enclosure sparked speculation online. It is not uncommon for bears to stand on their hind legs for a better view of their surroundings, but when pictures emerged of one of Hangzhou's zoo sun bears, a type of bear that is found in Southeast Asia, standing at the edge of its enclosure with its fur sagging above its legs, there were accusations that it might actually be a zoo employee in disguise. Some people think I stand like a person, said a post from Hangzhou Zoo on its social media account. Written from point of view of Angela, or Angela, that's how they, that's what they used to call my my grandmother, my grandmother who just passed away in in 2022. She was always Angela. Auntie Jell, Auntie Jella, Anywell, Well, Anywella, a Malaysian sun bear named Angela. I, what did we just do right now? Rhyming all over the place. It seems you don't understand me very well, said the human posing to be the bear. You see, you're not putting any of this to bed. We know the bear is not posting on social media. We know this is a human pretending to be a bear on social media. You're not making this any easier for yourself. It's like when Matt was trying to wiggle out of everybody suspecting that he, in fact, was the cat, not Timothy Alberino. The sun bears are smaller than other bears and look different, but are the real thing, the zoo said in the post. When it comes to bears, the first thing that comes to mind is a huge figure and amazing power, but not all bears are behemoths and danger personified, it added. Because of the way they stand, some people online question whether they are humans in disguise. Can we see one? No, of course not. Oh, hold on. Let me wait this one. Oh, there you go. Okay, let me see if we can get a little bit more in. Uh, yeah. Eh, no, the neck is too weirdly craned. But the bottom half, maybe it's a person with the head that is attached to some kind of a harness on, around the forehead to elongate the neck. But from the feet to the shoulders, that definitely does look like a person. That definitely does. It does. I'm sorry. Is this all? That looks like them. Don't you think? Has the stature of a person. Of a human being. Oh, well. That's all I have for you right now. So, um, I hope you're all happy with yourselves. I'm going to take a really quick intro break. When we come back, we're going to set the table for Ryan Gable. There's some more rhyming. I was a poet, and I didn't know it. Ah! All right. Don't go anywhere. Don't leave, okay?
let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! I told everybody in the welcome to the show. It's the opening of Quite Frankly. Uh, please do me a favor and help me share this episode, this episode, whether it's live or on demand. Get the links out there. Hit the share button wherever you're watching it and bring in all your friends, all your family, all your acquaintances, and all of your enemies. I'd love to meet them all. Um, and if you want to contribute to the show, some thoughts and just some general support, you can go to quitefranklysuperchat.com. There's also the Rumble Rants, and there are the Gold Pills on quitefrankly.tv. I just put it into the Gilded Chat. If anybody out there can help me find a video of this bear from China. Oh, we got that one picture. I would love to get a video of this bear if anyone has it. Tag me in, in the Gilded. Because from what I'm reading is that, you know, it like waves at people and it's almost at, like obvious, as obvious as Santa Claus is at a mall or something like that. So if somebody can help me out, the Gilded is a place that I can see it the easiest. All right, let's see. Here's what we have going on tonight as we prepare for Ryan Gable's arrival. The first one up is from Yahoo about about the subject matter tonight, the two parallel movie releases. Barbenheimer gave AMC its best revenue week in 103 years. When Barbie and Oppenheimer revealed themselves to have the same opening day of July 21st, Barbenheimer was born. These oil and water movies ended up doing wonders for theater change as AMC experienced its best revenue week in 103 years. Yeah, anything to, anything to not be talking about Sounds of Freedom, which even beat out uh, Mission Impossible. But Barbenheimer gave many the struggle of deciding what movie to watch first. Not me. I, I'm, I'm going to see them. I'll, I'll see them eventually. I have to. But... Um, Anyway, The Dark Oppenheimer or The Light Barbie or The Other Way Around. No matter the order, these two movies were either both seen on July 21st or throughout the week. Now, they're talking about how that is the big draw. But the real draw, you say that this is something that is, um, there's nothing relating these two things together. There's nothing that actually brings these two. Are they really? First thing that people would say is that, yes, there's a little bit more of a, a brightness difference between both because you know one is this cotton candy pink and the other is a Christopher Nolan film which is always usually very real and sobering and um, and so you'll you'll get things like this these image sets that 
that go around the, the internet on one side, just different types of shots that are similar to each other and, and how they're, they're kind of, um, you get the similar feelings, but not close-ups, establishing shots, car rides. I'm sure you can do this with many movies and you can make something out of nothing. But, um, but all of these, these memes that, that popped up with combining both Barbie and Oppenheimer uh, really gave birth to this Barbenheimer thing. And then Warner Brothers went and jumped on it. They jumped on it and they combined Barbenheimer as well. They, they threw this out there. Pretty much that the world was going to change forever on the 21st of July. Barbenheimer. And there's Barbie sitting on the shoulder of Robert Oppenheimer. While in the background, it is obvious that the atomic bomb is being tested. Um, and, or, it, I mean, and whether it doesn't even matter whether or not it's Japan. We know that that is why it was being tested. And that got a lot of people upset. At least on the internet. At least some people who were posing to be people on the internet. And then Warner Brothers had to apologize Japan, Warner Brothers Japan apologizes over offensive Barbenheimer meme. They apologize after an official Barbie movie account responded positively to a Barbenheimer meme that offended many social media users in the country of Japan. The apology shared by the Barbie Movie JP Twitter account on July 31st said the tweet shared by the U.S.-based branch was regrettable. The critical statement came after the Twitter account discussing film shared a fan-made poster for fictional Barbenheimer film by artist Steve Reeves that went viral more than 9 million views. So it's the, okay, so um, Warner Brothers didn't didn't make it, but again, they they jumped onto it, and uh, at least out there in Japan, uh, it's one of those things where when you see something organic happening, these are the types of things that you can't pay for. You can't pay for somebody to make a meme and help sell a movie. Uh, Just like what was the other one that came out that was so bad that they released it twice. And the memes were really just about how bad it was. I forget what it was. It was another comic book film. Uh, But these are the things that you you can't expect. And a lot of companies, especially a movie, uh, these movie houses and all their distribution, they sit around waiting for magic to happen, for lightning to be caught in a jar, and uh, and sometimes you just jump on it, and you want you want the wave to keep going, and sometimes you, you you piss people off, and this is one of those cases. The critical statement came after a Twitter account they went viral. The fictional poster featured Oppenheimer actor uh, Killian Murphy carrying Barbie star Margot Robbie on his shoulders as fire burns in the background. It's a play on the viral Barbenheimer phenomenon as both movies were released in the same day. And that went and prompted some some internet users, uh, I, I, especially those in Japan, to go and do things like this. Barbie up the uh, attack on the World Trade Center. That's what they got. Which, of course... Many of you out there understand, would understand why the meme doesn't make sense because Japan didn't bomb itself. But, um, but still, the little shots fired back in our direction. Anyway, that's a little bit what's going on on the surface level. Now, our guest tonight, our guest tonight, you all know him. Let me see here. 
Where is the... Uh, here we go. Our guest tonight, you all know him from a couple of different times we, we were on together. I think that one of the last times that we were together, Ryan Gable and I did a big dive into Saturnalia, the cult of Saturn, to be able to, to lay down the groundwork for talks like tonight. He is a prolific author. He is a host of The Secret Teachings. He's actually filling in for, um, for Clyde Lewis on uh, Ground Zero this Friday night. And he joins me uh, this evening. What is going on, Ryan Gable? Great to have you back. Ryan? Howdy, howdy. Oh, there you yes, go. Can you hear me? I hear you perfectly. See, Ryan and I, we did a test test call together, right, Ryan? Everything, <laughs> everything went well. We did. It usually goes well during the test call, and then you get to the live show and something happens, but... Well, we we were going, like coming through all right. Yeah, you, you're coming through fine. So let's just jump right into this because um, this juxtaposition between Barbie and Oppenheimer. Now, admittedly, I have not seen either of them, um, but uh, okay. but but in due time I will. But still, from a surface level, there is so much about this dual release that has sucked people in. Uh, we have this cotton candy pink and plastic aesthetic from Barbie. You have the darker presentation that we've all become a little bit more uh, expecting of Christopher Nolan films. A feminine ditzy trope versus a technical saga that weighs heavily on science versus ethics and war. Uh, In many ways, you would think that they're totally incompatible stories, but leave it to the powers of memes to fuse them together. What is your take on the Barbenheimer meme, the phenomenon, and then we'll go down some rabbit holes, wherever you want to lead us? Well, uh, that's a really great question, and there's a lot of ways to approach it. I think taking a surface-level approach is the best way to begin. And I guess there's a subsurface-level approach as well, where we look at a Washington Post article that came out, I think it was Tuesday after the big movie release last weekend. And this article actually says in the introduction to the article, it's about Barbenheimer, the meme. And it says that Barbenheimer, basically the meme, is brought to life by so many thousands, so many millions of people going to see the movies. In other words, the Washington Post is basically saying what I would say here on The Secret Teachings on my show, what maybe Clyde would say on Ground Zero, where we cover very similar things. And that is that meme magic is very real. And that when the studio, NBC, and when Universal, they put this together, Warner Brothers puts this together and they package it and they sell it as the sing- as the singular thing, these two distinct things as a singular thing, what you're getting is actually a process of, well, kind of like nuclear fusion, a little different than the fission in the movie. We'll get to that later. What you're getting is magic in the form of a meme brought to life by people spending their money, currency, energy, as we've talked about on this show before, and they're directing that energy and that currency and also paying with their attention toward those sigils, those symbols, those ideas, those concepts, et cetera. And it's supercharging what I would say is the zeitgeist. It's supercharging pop culture. So first and foremost, the Washington Post even acknowledged that the Barbenheimer meme was brought to life through real magic, effectively people spending their money and spending their attention watching these movies. So. If you look at some of the stories after the weekend release, technically the movie was released on the 21st, but they had some screenings the night before. So the movie, uh, they say, is like a, it's like a three-day release weekend. So technically it was Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, three-day release. And all the different articles that I've read, and we could go through hundreds of them, all the articles say that it was a three-day release, it made $300 million, and it was the biggest release 
since we had the pandemic begin back in early 2020. So the pandemic lasted effectively three years. So this is the biggest release in three years. The studios and the news outlets said that this is a $300 million blockbuster package of these two movies just the first weekend, which was a three-day weekend. And for some weird reason, and I'm not sure why this is, um, there doesn't seem to be a lot of creativity in Hollywood, but people like Christopher Nolan, I'm a big Christopher Nolan fan myself. I have been since film school. Christopher Nolan is seen, according to NBC, as one of the only people that has the ability to, and this is a quote from NBC, resuscitate the film industry or resurrect the film industry. And he's done that despite the fact that Barbie made a little more money. Oppenheimer has essentially resuscitated or resurrected after three days of release after a three-year pandemic with $300 million or part of that is Oppenheimer parts Barbie. Essentially, the film industry has been resuscitated or reset or it has the old one has died and the new one has has been brought to life. And that's been done through this immense amount of energy and what amounts to a real life, not a CG, but a real life representation of an atomic bomb. So it's kind of like Frankenstein's monster being brought to life with a bolt of electricity. It's like the spark of orgasmic life between a couple when they create a child and it's very alchemical, it's very magical. So we get all of these concepts, even though that might not seem like it's too mundane mm. on the surface, it, this is what the media is reporting. The media is reporting resuscitation. The media is reporting three-day weekend, $300 million, three, three years of pandemic. The media is saying that this is fuel to the Hollywood machine, that it's a fusion of these two movies, blending together the pink world, as you said, and the black world, the fake world, and the very real world, the world of illusory love and the world of very realistic reality where fear dominates most of our lives we don't know what's going to happen next we're uncertain we make decisions there's consequences etc so on the surface that's the first thing that we should be aware of uh, if you want to go super surface level you can look at oppenheimer as a real film that's going to probably stand the test of film history barbie in my opinion is probably going to be forgotten like so many other movies that are popular for a few months, a few years, and then they just sort of disappear into the ether. So yeah, they'll make, I said on my show a few a few days ago, like a week and a half ago, they'll, Barbie will make a billion dollars. I think they're already at a billion. They'll make a lot of money. They'll sell you anti-capitalism and then tell you to go buy dolls. And they'll tell you capitalism's bad, but come buy more movie tickets. See it a second time. Wear pink clothes. Go buy Barbie outfits. So capitalism's bad, but they sell it to you under the under the uh, the advertisements of, of pure capitalism. You know, men are bad, patriarchy, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of people went to see both movies because the studios essentially marketed these movies together. Now, I'm curious, did you think that that was weird? I mean, that's been, it's been done before, but did you think that was strange? I thought, right off the bat, right off the bat, I'm thinking to myself, strange, but I can see them doing this just, they want to capitalize on the irony. They want to capitalize on something that is ironic, something that we're polar opposites. Hey, here is pretty much how I, I, I set the table for you after I took the call. Um, you know, you have things that on the surface you believe could be so diametrically opposed. But, you know, I, I, had, this, I, I had this email that came in, Ryan. Um, it was from a, a listener of the show. His name is Matthew. He said this. He said, Frank, 
The other day you mentioned the concept of revelation of the method. Uh, well, call me full of horse crap, but I have observed this as well. So when I saw the new movie Oppenheimer, I believe that there was a scene that they were showing their hand again. Kind of freaked me out given the subject, nuclear weapons. There was a scenario scene that showed possible attacks on some cities that they had circled. When I think that we should, I think we should pay attention. Just saying this is because... Uh, if they want they uh, if they want the way the powers that be use their movies to convey the clandestine information to their viewers, and this could be something worth taking note of. Now, I guess that is something that the dawn of the atomic age gave us, uh, Ryan. It, it's this constant threat of nuclear war and mutually assur- assured destruction. We have fallen back on that fear line, and in many ways, it could be. Um, well well reasoned to be fearful of something like that if the situation is is legitimate but it's a bit more relevant now with this insane gambit that's going on dragging on ukraine but all the movies usually have that message for the future built into it no like you know the day the world stood still or anything else like that they're always you're on a path of destruction but there's still a chance to change course and i mean hell just last week we had some official from the u.n declare that the era of global warming has now ended and now global boiling has begun. But I think that this is also a perfect example of what we're talking about tonight with the juxtaposition of these two movies. I mean, we're inundated with the Oppenheimer level catastrophizing on a daily basis, but as they scare the crap out of us, they're also encouraging us to immerse ourselves in these ditzy Barbie like social fantasies. And, um, and that's one thing that I was, I've been able to take just from the marketing alone, because like I said, I haven't seen the movies yet. Yeah, well, certainly there's a social commentary that both of these movies make. I'd say way more Barbie than Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer is more of a historical piece. It's considered very accurate. It's considered, well, probably, it's probably going to be one of the better movies ever made, certainly one of Nolan's best movies. Uh, Barben, Barbenheimer as a meme, you know, certainly plays on pop culture themes. It certainly plays on political correctness. It certainly plays on a lot of things that are social issues. So there's certainly that way of looking at it. Personally, I've listened to a lot of radio over the years. I do this professionally. Uh, I don't care if it's conservative radio. I mean, on occasion, I've in the past turned in, uh, tuned into NPR. So I guess you call that liberal radio. I've listened to middle of the road radio. I've listened to conspiracy radio. And, and my entire life and all the years I've done radio, I've always heard the same thing. Oh, it's going to happen, a big event. There's going to be a nuclear bomb or something. This and, and none of it ever happens. I don't think that the movie's predicting the future. I don't think that Barbie or Oppenheimer have anything to do with the future, with the past, with the present outside of just maybe addressing some kind of social issue or pushing some kind of political message. I honestly think that all of that, that you see as, as Barbenheimer, all the Barbie, all the Oppenheimer stuff, everything we're going to talk about, I think it's all happening up here. Hmm. And I'll give, you an, I'll give you an example of what I mean. When you think of the Garden of Eden, you have the two trees in the garden. You have the tree of good and evil, and you have the tree of wisdom. You have the tree that Adam and Eve eat the fruit from. And then the other tree, most people, including Joseph Campbell, say that the other tree is basically Calvary. It's where Jesus was crucified. So if you take a look at the human body and you take a look at the human spine, you have the fruit of desire down where the groin and the genitals are. That's the fruit of desire that lets you know good and evil. And then as you process through the different levels or layers of the spine, the 33 33 vertebrae, then you get to the top. That's the skull. That's the temple. That's the unfinished 
part of the temple, the unfinished pyramid. That's where the third eye presides over the rest of the body, which is in the works. And up here in the skull, it's Golgotha. That's where Christ was crucified. Golgotha means skull. So the other tree is the cross that Christ is crucified on, the two thieves of the hemispheres of the brain. In other words, the apocalypse, Armageddon, the eschaton, all of these things are happening inside of us. They're happening internally. They're physical in some respects in terms of the body, but they're also spiritual in terms of our mind and how we perceive reality, our spirit and our consciousness. And I think that is what's being tapped into with powerful memes and movies like this. And I think the best example is to start with, if you look at some of the things, for example, that Robert Downey Jr. said, because he was in the movie, one of the main actors, he said that the movie was was shot and produced and put together without any chairs with people's names on it. He said that there was no video village, which is common. He said that there was kind of, he used the word monastic. He said there was a monastic vibe about it. Hmm. It was very ritualistic. And he said Killian Murphy, who played Oppenheimer, he said his character... Um, you know, he basically became that character, like method acting. And he said it was a lot of sacrifice. And these are all words that I'm not just pulling out of the ether. These are words that every publication I've read, they're putting these words up there. Killian Murphy's performance, a sacrifice. Another article that says something about how Christopher Nolan wants this movie to be as real as possible. He wants you to fear it. He wants you to feel it. So they're using these words that when you put them all together, you start reading all these stories, you sort of get this esoteric or occult, let's call it, vibe. And when you watch the movies, I'm, I'm kind of glad you haven't seen these movies. So um, when, you, when you do go see them, you can look for these things and, and, and you'll be able to see them a little more clear. And if you watch, I think it's the, the second, maybe it's the second or third Barbie trailer, you can also see this so you don't even have to see the movie. Um, in that pink plastic fake world that you pointed out of Barbie, juxtaposition to the black realistic world of Oppenheimer where there's consequences for your actions... In the Barbie universe, when she's at her dream house, so this is obviously an altered state of consciousness, if you will. It's obviously kind of like the Matrix. She's in a dream world. And when she's in that world and she's dancing with her friends in the trailer, she's standing on a pink dot with a bunch of circles around it. And that at that point, it's early in the movie, she says, you ever think about dying? You ever think about death? And the music stops and everybody stops dancing. They look at her really weird, and she says, well, I'm just dying to dance, and then she starts laughing, they start dancing again. But at that point, really early in the movie, she starts to realize that she might be mortal. So it's a Garden of Eden-type story, right? And her milk goes bad, and you know her toast burns, and she starts to realize that something's wrong with the dream world. Something's not right. Very Neo in the Matrix, of course. And as the movie progresses, she learns from the character Crazy Barbie, which is, I think, a really important character, she learns from Crazy Barbie that there's a, a membrane between the worlds, right? Barbie land and the real world. And that membrane has been torn or ripped. So in other words, now you're getting the theme not only of the Garden of Eden and the Neo story and the Matrix, you're also getting the story, you're also getting the narrative of two worlds coming together again. Hmm. And this is something Hollywood is just absolutely obsessed with. Every superhero movie, every comic book movie, uh, from Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness to that, uh, one of my favorite films recently is everything everywhere all at once where you had the saturnistic black bagel with everything which is the saturnistic ring which just draws and brings everything into this in, in, this intensity this intense density if you will uh like a singularity point so you find that theme in barbie obviously in oppenheimer there have been theories even mainline theories for a very long time that the atomic bomb 
alerted extraterrestrials to our presence or perhaps ripped open a hole in space-time to another dimension. And so that's that's mainline history. In the Barbie world, it's a fictional example of this, but the, the portal, which is the word they use in the Barbie movie, the portal has been opened. And Barbie obviously has to go into the real world. And she's given the option between the Birkenstock and the high heel or the red pill Birkenstock and the blue pill high heel. So there's a tremendous amount of matrix symbolism. There's a tremendous amount of, of Garden of Eden, Genesis, biblical symbolism. There's a tremendous amount of, I would call it, theology, occultism, pop culture, and entertainment uh, motifs that are packed into Barbie. So while most people are watching this movie thinking like, oh, look, there's a fat Barbie. I feel represented. Oh, look, there's a super, super skinny Barbie. I feel represented. Oh, look, there's there's Ken. Or, oh, look, there's a, a, a black Barbie president. I feel represented. Subconsciously, these symbols are communicating to us, these archetypes, these ideas, and it's saying a lot more to the subconscious than what's on the surface. Like, hey, we hate capitalism, but by the way, you can go buy these new Barbie dolls after the movie. So as we move from Barbie, where she's on this Saturnistic circle with all these rings around it, this dot with these rings, which transitions in the movie, and I know you have pictures of this I sent to you. Mm -hmm. It transitions to a disco ball showing you basically what is a, what is a planet rotating which you can't see in the picture, but it rotates in the movie as the as the scene fades, and it has these rings around it. So the dot with the circle is called the monad. The dot with the circle is also Saturn, the planet on its side. It's also seen as an eye, so you have the, the pupil and then you have the outside of the eye. Uh, also known as the black sun, which is important because the monad is known as the chemical or alchemical, rather, symbol of gold. So in Barbie, when she says, do you ever think about death? They literally, in that scene at the end, literally transmute the alchemical symbol for gold into the planet Saturn, whose symbol or metal is lead. They literally detransmute gold into lead, as opposed to Oppenheimer, where you're taking the base raw material of the universe, manipulating it, and then you're transforming it into something explosive, the power of the sun. In other words, you're taking lead and transforming it into gold. So if you watch Oppenheimer, it's not just that whole idea throughout the movie, but the, it, there's a scene where he's, he's talking to um, uh, Groves, the general, who set up the Manhattan Project, and he goes up to the, Oppenheimer goes up to the chalkboard, and he draws out the different laboratories in the Northwest, Southwest, Northeast, and Southeast, and he connects them with an X. And then he says, here in the middle, this is where it all comes together. He's explaining the compartmentalization of the program, how, how it could be run if he gets the job. And he circles it. And I sent you that picture, too, that of the chalkboard. It's a circle with an X through it. And then at each point of the X, what you see are the different laboratories, which if you look at, a, let's call it an, an occult book on planetary sigils, including my book, Occult Arcana, which you can see over my right shoulder here, uh, when I came home from the movie, I went through my Occult Arcana book and I found that symbol and I realized, oh, I should have known what that is off the top of my head. That's the sigil of Jupiter. And what is the sigil of Jupiter a symbol of? Victory and intelligence. And if Oppenheimer was anything outside of Barbie's crazy, wacky world of pink make-believe, if it was anything other than that, it was an intelligent movie and it was a movie about 
well, not only consequences, but victory and how victory has consequences and how every decision has consequences. So they put that, and maybe it was unintentional. I mean, Nolan could have just told Killian Murphy, go up on the board and draw this out. And he just happened to draw it in that symbol. And it might not have any other meaning other than it's just a random coincidence. But the fact that it is very clearly the sigil of Jupiter is really important, primarily because if you take that sigil in magical practice and you put it inside of a pentacle, then that pentacle specifically with the sigil of Jupiter is a symbol of protection against what your enemy is doing or what your enemy is conjuring, which in the case of the Manhattan Project was trying to beat the Nazis and the Germans from acquiring that bomb. That sigil in the pentacle also is a symbol of protection against that which you are conjuring, which is the power of the sun and being able to bottle it in this atomic weapon. So. Long story short, in Oppenheimer and in Barbie, you get a transmutation in Oppenheimer of lead into gold, but in Barbie, you get a transmutation of gold into lead. Materialism, selling you things, really the essence of capitalism, even though they say it's anti-capitalism, and you get the sigil of Jupiter in Oppenheimer and the sigil of Saturn in, Bar uh, in Barbie. You get those two things blended together, and you have the alchemical marriage. Uh, marriage. Well, I would call it like, uh, if you look at Oppenheimer, it's like the, the zero hour where they drop the, the bomb in, at the Trinity site. Uh, and of course, that is a, um, uh, a lead up to the dropping of bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And if you look at the Barbie world, the X's, you see X's in the promo picture. There's an X at the top of one of these houses and an X at the bottom. They're very, very clear. Two giant X's, the two X chromosomes of the female. You get the X's in Barbie. You get the O or the zero in Oppenheimer. The X and O are also symbols, of course, which is also the sigil, the X with the circle of, of Jupiter. Uh, that is the X and the O. That is part of the alchemical marriage. So with all that being said, if you want to show these pictures. Uh, oh, I've been, I've been, I've idea. been flashing them as you've been talking. So it's been, it's okay, been good. See. No, it's good. It, it's been good. Now, now, outside of the movies themselves, obviously we're talking about meme magic, we're talking about maybe, and I think I think it's very, very good that you put out there that these things that pop up along the way that really do have deeper meaning when you look into them, they, they may, the decision process behind them popping up on screen may just be, screen may just be coincidental. Then again, we know that they're just from certain elements of, of movie makers out there, directors, producers, writers. Um, there is not one detail that is not carefully chosen. I mean, someone like a Stanley Kubrick, there is a reason why every coffee mug that is in frame is a certain color. You know, so you at, at one time, sometimes you have to just kind of tether yourself and tether yourself down and, and try to relax. Other times you keep getting reminded that so much of this is um, is meticulously laid out and you, you just wonder. Now, outside of the marketing aspect there, talking about the actual Manhattan Project itself, digging into, let's go beyond the movies and actually talk about Oppenheimer and the uh, the the research behind the atom bomb, the people who were creating it, and where it all led us, because so much you had had uh, alluded to before is what I I have been thinking about. I think many others have have probably let it pass through their minds as well. You and I off of uh, uh, off air talking in private, you mentioned a little bit about the collapsing of the pillars of reality itself, and from a paranormal standpoint. The Manhattan Project is also, as you said, theorized to be a, a major point of demarcation wherein technologies that were being tested, 
had suddenly awakened something that had been laying dormant, uh, or that we had set like off Godzilla. Some, oh, like like Godzilla, or or that something um, we had set off some sort of a galactic signal flare which drew attention to our planet from across the galaxy, or that we had created rips in space time itself, which I had told you was so incredibly depicted in the 2017 third season of Twin Peaks. It's the kind of doorways that we read about in these stories that opine about what's going on in places like Montauk or CERN. And then, you know, everything after Oppenheimer, we have Paperclip, we've got NASA, we've got Jack Parsons. The the obsession with the occult and with the supernatural never ceased. But as far as this particular man, this particular operation, this project, uh, what do you think is the most important thing for all of us to to remember or know? Well, there's a lot of ways to approach that question, so I'm going to try to take a few different approaches to it. A few different things come to my mind. Uh, you're right, NASA, just even without looking at the names of the programs like Apollo, Mercury, Artemis, Saturn, Saturn V rocket, where the engines are supposedly designed in the form of a pentagram because that was the best design they could get for, for liftoff. Uh, NASA's obviously uh, riddled with an occult past, but even if you ignore all that, the simple fact that you have a phallic rocket penetrating the motherly sky the womb is an alchemical ritual in and of itself you have the x penetrating the o or in the x itself you have the fire which is the triangle i'm trying to show this on screen the triangle pointing upward right and then you have the chalice which is the upside down version of that when those two come together you get the seal of solomon which is all four elements coming together the four elements so x is a very powerful symbol in and of itself but the x and the o the alchemical marriage um this is something that Obviously, people like Jack Parsons were uh, very, uh, I, I would say, obsessed with or very knowledgeable about Aleister Crowley. These guys all hung around in the same circles uh, in California, New Mexico. Um, you mentioned CERN, too. CERN, of course, has the famous uh, god Shiva, the Shiva statue, uh, the destroyer of the Hindu trinity. That thing that Oppenheimer said he became, quoting the Bhagavad Gita, now I've become death, the destroyer of worlds. And that, of course, is probably, I mean, there's a lot of different speculation points on this, but I think that's probably where he got the idea for the Trinity bomb. Uh, some people say it's a poem, but either way, you have Trinity, which is a very powerful motif. Um, but in terms of looking at Oppenheimer and the Manhattan Project, you know, there's a, there's a really, I think, overlooked aspect of the, the post-Manhattan Project. And that is the, of course, the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And I want to point out that I think it's really esoteric. I think it's strangely and eerily occult that the land of the rising sun, Japan, was selected for these ultimate weapons of war, effectively the power of the sun. It was selected for this power of the sun to be dropped on the land of the rising sun. Or the fact that Robert Oppenheimer is considered the father of the atomic bomb, which bottled, like an alchemical ritual, bottled the power of the sun on a country whose emperor, Hirohito at the time, was literally an embodiment of the sun, descendant from the sun goddess of Japan, Amaterasu, down through the first emperor, Jimmu, thousands of years ago. So when you look at that, for me at least, I think, huh, land of the rising sun, an emperor who's the embodiment of the sun, Robert Oppenheimer basically encapsulated the sun, and then they detonate these bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And there's a lot of reasons why they chose those two cities, a lot of reasons. Uh, Nagasaki in particular is interesting because a lot, a lot of people don't know this. I just learned this recently. Nagasaki at the time 
was the eastern hub of western christianity uh, christianity wasn't well received in large parts of japan but nagasaki was the hub of christianity and regardless of what you think of christianity christianity and a lot of its principles and tenets goes back to the Zendavesta and the Persian religion of Mithra or Mithraism or Zoroastrian or Zoroastrianism, however you choose to pronounce it. And that is a symbol, uh, that is a religion based on the symbol of the sun. So you have a, an Eastern city, which is the Eastern hub of Western Christianity based on sun worship, an emperor who's the sun, a guy who develops the bomb, who is essentially able to who encapsulate the sun, who's able to bottle the sun, and it's in the land of the rising sun. And that would be, I mean, if, if I was an occultist and I was going to decide where these bombs were dropped, I'd have probably picked the same two places, especially because as the Germans were working on their version of the bomb, they called it the disintegration bomb. And there's a lot of theories on why they failed to acquire that bomb. Some say Heisenberg sabotaged the project or tried to convince Hitler that it was impossible. Others say that the Germans had actually developed the bomb. There were some pilots who saw mushroom cloud tests um, if you pull up the Washington Post, there was a story at the end of the war about these giant planes called Ju-390s that had flown to within 12 miles of New York City, taken photographs, flown back. It was, I think they were stationed in Western France, and they had prepared to load bombs and then drop a weapon with the same kiloton load that was dropped, I think it was on Hiroshima, but on Manhattan and detonated over the city for the maximum possible fallout. That was planned. The Washington Post reported that post-World War II. So the Germans probably had a bomb, but regardless of that, as the Germans are developing that technology, they're doing it without what Hitler called Jewish science. In the States, with the assistance of some other countries in the United States, the Manhattan Project was a project that was primarily run, and this is not a, a conspiracy theory. You can go to Los Alamos, their website, and it tells you, it was primarily run by Jews. Oppenheimer was a Jew. So you literally have Jewish scientists working against Nazi scientists. And Judaism is probably one of the most mystical religions with the Kabbalah, you know, the famous Gollum, et cetera. So you have Jewish mysticism against Nazi occultism is kind of how I've perceived this and how I've seen this. And since Japan doesn't have, especially at the time, didn't have at the time, uh, the kind of industries that were beneficial to the West, you know, Ford and Boeing and all these companies assisted Hitler and assisted the Third Reich in general. Japan didn't have a lot of that. So it was a great opportunity to really rip open the land of the rising sun to westward expansion by the United States and Britain, et cetera, to put companies there, but also to just experiment to see what these bombs would do and also to create fear of what would happen if the Russians get this bomb. So we have to build a bigger bomb. So they get Teller to build the hydrogen bomb, the thermonuclear weapon, and just get bigger and bigger. And the Soviets detonate the Tsar bomb, which is so massive you can't even comprehend it they, there's actually a video online you can watch watch of that so i think in regard to all of that it's almost like they chose japan because germany hitler had supposedly killed himself italy surrendered years before that the japanese i think there's a cultural issue there's a lot of issues uh winston churchill was a rabid racist he said that the japanese were yellow dwarfs they called them the yellow dwarf slaves um the australians hated the japanese um, the, I mean, Roosevelt was a famous white supremacist, famous racist, even in mainline history books. He was a, he was a rabid racist. He hated the Japanese. So Japan was clearly a test target for a lot of reasons. And when they dropped those bombs, what you basically got was, in my opinion, in relation to the tearing down of these pillars, 
you have the collapsing of the eastern pillar of reality. And then in the west, and really in the west, where the Trinity bomb was detonated, and then from the subsequent propaganda out of Hollywood, and obviously UFOs in the late 40s, a little bit after the Trinity test, and uh, the UFO lore in the 1950s, and how that took off and brings us to where we are today. Yeah. It's really ho ho Hollywood in the West that has ripped open or continues to hold open the gate of the West. So from Hollywood to Japan, they've effectively ripped open, blown open, like Pacific Rim, the movie, portals or gateways or dimensions to other worlds. They've collapsed the Western and Eastern, the solar, if you will, pillars of reality. And I think esoterically, that's what the bombings of Nagasaki and Hiroshima were about in 1945. I think in the West, this is what Hollywood you know, UFO movie magic is all about and, and, and so many other things. But the basic idea, though, is the Western Gate, the Eastern Gate collapsed. And I think this has a lot to do with it. If that makes sense. I hope that makes sense. Uh, whenever you go into the I'm, I'm really when you come on, and you talk about something like this. I understand going into it that about. 75 to 85 percent of it is just going to be like me sitting down watching the television a documentary something i haven't heard before or contemplated and i'm just taking it in so um chronologically linearly i mean it all, it all I, I see where you're going there's some things i would take i would uh i would you know could turn into a tangential debate about some some stuff but uh, sure, I'd, I'd welcome that. I, yeah, I don't well, have all the answers. If we had, if we had more than, if we had more than the limited amount of time we had tonight, then perhaps we would do that. But right now, I mean, this is this is exactly what I'm I'm I've been willing to do uh, is jump into exactly why the messaging, maybe timing too. As you said before, it's not about predicting the future. Is it about telling the story? Is it about taking a victory lap? Is it purely artistic? Uh, what is this? What is this? Um, what is this exercise to you really about when we get into um, the, uh, the these these major movie productions, especially when it comes down to, uh, I don't know, interdimensionally significant, cosmically significant, at least for us, um, stories like the like Oppenheimer story and the way that the world changed in the the world was already being changed in the middle of that war but the conclusion of the war and the reshaping and the reconstruction of the post-war world was I mean this was a very violent birth you know and there were so many as you said so many strange and occult vested interests going after each other um, you know vying for some kind of control over What's coming next? And for as much as yeah, sure. Jewish mystics were going up against Nazi occultists, uh, they, I mean, the Nazi occultists came came on over across the pond afterwards, and they're all working together. So, you know, it, it, were they ever really enemies? That is, is, is that the question to ask next? The, the enemy changes. I mean, even in Oppenheimer, the enemy changed right after... I mean, you didn't see the movie, but uh, the history of it is, of course, the communist Russians were sort of our friends, but we didn't really want to let them know what was happening with the bomb because we didn't want them to get it because we knew once we defeated the Germans and the Nazis, then the, the Russians would probably be our enemy and we don't want to have to go up against them with nuclear weapons. And so that's kind of in the movie, too, actually, in Oppenheimer, the, the question of who's the enemy, who's the real enemy. Uh, and of course, that's part of the reason the Manhattan Project was so compartmentalized. By the way, also, if you've, you've seen Watchmen. Oh, yes. It, I mean, it's one of one of the better comic book movies, I think. Ever, and, yeah. And that, Absolutely. It's a great movie, um, especially in comparison to some of the crap that comes out now. The uh, the Manhattan Project, or Dr. Manhattan, 
in the movie, um, I don't know if you know this, but the original uh, explosion, the nuclear explosion in Manhattan or New York that wipes out a lot of the city, it wasn't actually atomic or nuclear. It was actually a squid that was teleported. I think it was a genetically altered squid that was teleported through a gateway onto New York City. So, and that's in the original Watchmen story. And that is kind of similar again to the idea of atomic bombs ripping over portals to other worlds and gateways. That kind of is blended together in Watchmen, Dr. Manhattan, and the squid. And you can just type that in, alternate uh, uh, ending to Watchmen. It wasn't the movie, but it was in the comic, and that's what happened. You know, I read the comic. Um, I read the comic. I, I own it. And I I guess I'm going to have to go reread it again. It's, it's been years. I think that you would think I would remember the squid. I don't yeah, remember um, it. Yeah, no, 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 there's a couple of things about this you should know. I'm not a comic book guy, but I, a friend of mine told me about this, my friend Derek Murphy, and I looked it up, and it's on, like, all the wiki fandom sites and comic book sites, and they talk about... And maybe it wasn't in the, in the, in the final publication. Maybe it was one of the original ideas. You know, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure, mm-hmm. but that was... I, I am sure that that was one of the endings uh, or one of the, the the ideas for Watchmen was that it wasn't going to be this explosion. It was going to be a giant squid that was dropped on New York, which is very Lovecraftian, very Lovecraftian, which is a big theme, a big topic, a big motif right now. Everybody from Rick and Morty who go through different dimensions in every episode almost to Batman. Batman's fighting Lovecraft characters. Um, you know, artificial intelligence is referred to as the Shugoth, according to the New York Times now. You're getting all these themes that are coming together and you know, I think going back to what your question was, I read this article about, it was a nature article from July 27th. If you haven't seen this, you should try to pull it up or I can send it to you after the show. Um, and it was about how, and it might've just been a, you know, a crazy, silly headline. It was about how our perception of reality was changed in real time and in the long term by lockdowns, depending on if you lived in a city or if you lived in the countryside. It literally said our perception of time and space was altered as a result of lockdowns and by extension, all the things that I'm we look- watched on TV. I'm looking at I see one from 2017. That's not it. You said this is a, a post-2020? Yeah, let me try. I can try to see if I can find it real quick. It was, um, uh, perce- it was time and space perception changed uh, COVID-19. I can pull it up. Well, that's, you know, as you're pulling that up there, too, that's another thing that has been popping up on this show and, of course, around the world where there are so many traumatic. We know that trauma is such a very important part of mind control, even without any, without, without any devices, even without any technology, just as a, 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 as a way to reprogram the, the, the human biocomputer. That is that's that's one thing in itself, and we've gone through a, a global, uh, you know, planet-wide trauma uh, that was ongoing and still, many ways, is not let up for people. Some people are lost forever, and then we have all of these competing stories and untold or seldom told and understood, seldom understood histories about gigantic technological undertakings like CERN. Um, like other 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 projects around the world, we're talking about the Manhattan Project tonight, the splitting of the atom, um, and 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 things that are so massive in scope that actually, perhaps at least in theory, could have some kind of power to shift our perception of to actually alter time space 
space time and it, it brings up a lot these these uh, conversations ultimately lead to questions about mandela effect and and uh, parallel universes and 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 whether or not there was jump off point i don't know like mayan calendar kinds of things where was there a die off were did we were we on one track and we were then shifted into another we don't know that we are now parallel to some other kind of reality that we should have been on i mean it feels like so many of these these questions can go unanswered because of how hard it is to even detect them but um I'm glad you bring it into perception of reality because that's something that always pops up when we talk about these massive technological undertakings. Does it have the power to shift things physically in our, uh, you know, our, our pancaking, our pancaking uh, conscious life here? Well, think about the the Christian eschaton idea that the Earth is going to be destroyed in fire. A lot of people see that as nuclear war the third world war everything's going to blow up and we're all going to die and if we don't die in the explosion we'll die with radiation etc but there's also a lot of other forms of heat right when we get sick maybe from covid19 quote unquote we get a fever that's one of the main symptoms they used to test to see if you had a fever before you could come into a store also the planet supposedly is getting a fever supposedly heating up global warming so sars-cov-2 gives us a fever if you take away the sars and the v you get CO2, that gives us a fever as well, or the planet a fever. You got the threat of nuclear war hanging over your head, which I don't think is going to happen, but you have the threat of it. And that gives us a fever. That makes us kind of nervous and uncomfortable for paying attention. Makes us which kind I of don't anxious. Think going to happen. You have all these themes of fire and the potential for fire, all these things. And, you know, when you look at that Nature article, I sent it to you in the chat there oh. on Zoom. Um, you know, there's no no reason to get into the specifics of it, but just the idea of lockdowns being able to change our perception of space and time. As you said, traumatic events change our perception of space and time. The dropping of those bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki changed the whole world's perception of everything. It, it, it changed warfare. I mean, it was supposed to be, a, in the movie, they talk about it being a deterrent of war, but what it actually becomes is a deterrent to peace. It, it, it perpetually prevents peace there's always the threat of this horrific nuclear holocaust happening but there's also more to it than just those two atomic bombs we always talk about hiroshima and nagasaki those of us who are aware of the history there are a few, there are very few people who know that leading up to those bombs the british especially the royal air force especially but the americans played a part in this as well the united states and britain literally firebombed they absolutely leveled and killed as many civilians as possible. And I think, what was it, 68 or 70 German cities? They completely destroyed Hamburg. Hmm. The famous burning of Dresden, which turned the basically the atmosphere above it into fire. Um, 300, uh, three, three to 400,000 refugees. These weren't even civilians who were living in Dresden. Three to 400,000 uh, refugees were supposed they don't know the exact numbers, but we're supposed to have been in the area of Dresden trying to find shelter. And the Royal Air Force comes in, the British come in, and they absolutely level Dresden with just thousands of bombs. They literally turn the city into a fireball. One of the worst parts of the war never gets talked about. You want to talk about a real holocaust of fire? Oh, yeah. That's a much more efficient way to kill people than putting people into an oven 
If you look it, at the it Auschwitz was far, chart. It was far more, far more um, uh, destructive. I mean, obviously, because we're talking about a new scary technology that was rolled out in Japan in 1945. I mean, that, that is the, that is the, the, that center stage because it's parent, it's a, it's the finisher. You know, it's the yes, finisher right yes. there. But as far a singularity, as really a singularity s- stories like stories like Dresden far outpace it in its brutality. And it's 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 her- it's horrific. They killed. It's estimated. Nobody knows for sure. It's estimated that in that one night of Royal Air Force bombing and then the U.S. bombers came in right after that. The second wave that was the first time the U.S. did this because even Roosevelt at the time was like, well, I don't know if we want to participate in this. And he was a scumbag uh, and, a, and a racist. They hated the Japanese. They killed estimated 220,000 civilians, yep. no military target at all. And of course, one thing that if even if people know about the Dresden history, here's a new one or another one for those of you who don't know about or do know about Dresden, something else to, to look at and to research is just a few, I mean, really just a few weeks before Hiroshima and Nagasaki, there was the firebombing of Tokyo. And they actually, te- it was a test. It was not like we need to prove a point. It was... They went out to Dugway Proving Ground, and they were testing napalm, and they packed a bunch of it onto a bunch of bombers, and they flew it over Tokyo real low, and they dropped napalm, and they killed, estimated, again, 100,000 people, basically like a snap of a finger. They burned, I think the Japanese, what was it, the Interior Department of the Housing, whatever they called in Japan, they estimated 40% of Tokyo went up in flames and, and vanished and disappeared. They, they burned over half the city and killed hundreds of thousands of people. Also, of course, displacing hundreds of thousands of people. When you put Dresden together with like the other 68, 69 cities they bombed in Germany to kill civilians, and you look at the other cities in Japan that they firebombed, I think a total of 12, there were more people killed just in those bombings then all the people in Hiroshima, all the people in Nagasaki, all the people of the so-called Holocaust, uh, more people were killed in in Germany, civilians, arguably, than all the so-called victims of, of Hitler's uh, genocide. And yet there's no acknowledgement of those things. And that also is a turning point in the war, a smaller turning point, but it's a turning point nonetheless, a turning point where the West is so obsessive compulsive, we have to get rid of Nazism. And I'm not saying Nazism was a good thing. It's a horrible thing. I don't, I don't like Hitler. But because of the obsession, we sided with communists. We absolutely destroyed millions of civilians. We killed millions of civilians in what I think is kind of like a blood fire sacrifice leading up to the ripping open of that eastern gate in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945. All those little details matter. You know, because if they don't matter, then it's, you know, it's kind of like today. We hear a lot today about how, you know, people like Donald Trump are so evil that it doesn't matter what we do. We just have to get him out of power. We have to put him in jail. That's the same mentality that drove Roosevelt and that scumbag Winston Churchill, that racist Winston Churchill, to level Germany and to level Japan with experimental weapons and experimental types of warfare. And those are civilians, not military targets, not military personnel. Now, that's not coming from me as a bleeding heart liberal. That's coming from me as an occultist. That is mass murder. That is mass fire and blood sacrifice in the lead up to the ultimate alchemical ritual, the dropping, the detonating of those two bombs over Hiroshima and Nagasaki, not to mention the Trinity test, all of the Sanskrit Bhagavad Gita stuff that Oppenheimer was very admittedly interested in. CERN has the Shiva statue. Reportedly, they I don't know if they still have it. They had a, a tapestry in Sanskrit at CERN 
that said something to the effect of welcome, as if the, the thing was going to rip open a portal and bring the gods that speak Sanskrit into this reality. So with all those things considered, um, there's a lot more to it than that, but I think the bottom line is um, World War III or all the things we're worried about happening, I think it's taking place in the mind. And I think all these little nudges from COVID-19 to climate change, where the statistics don't add up, but we're being told by the news that it, it feels hotter, it feels like you're sicker. It's all behavioral modification. It's all hypnotic suggestibility, pushing us and nudging us into a new world where in Oppenheimer, they said it's not a new bomb. It's a new world that will be created. It's a new normal of COVID or what the news has recently said about climate change. It's a new normal. They're literally creating a new reality. And I think it's a lot of a lot of it's happening in the mind. It's not something that we have to fear physically happening, although that, of course, is something that is always a, a possibility. Yeah, that's always dangling. It's always just uh, that black cloud up ahead. You just don't know. But I, uh, I have a feeling that you're going to have a very, very great time hosting on Friday night for Clyde on the uh, on the, the the weekend show over there with uh, Ground Zero, and I hope that I'll be able to tune into it while you're still live as I'm driving back from the Metallica concert. It might I might still be able to do that, um, Ryan. I, I know before we go, this was just so great, and um, there's so much more that I would love to go to deeper depths on if we had even you know 25 more minutes, but we don't. Before we go, please let everybody know about the new book that you have coming out. Of course, the link that I have in the description of this episode, that goes to your website where everybody can find your books, everybody can find links to your show, um, and, and whatever else you are doing. But I know you have something new coming out, so uh, please let everybody know what that is and, and when it will be available. Yeah, it's actually available now. I just got some copies in the mail. It's called Garden of Hallucinations. Uh, it's a little bit like my Occult Arcana book, which is a massive, massive volume. This is a little bit shorter. It's about 400 pages. Um, and it takes you through a little bit of everything from Twilight language to the Revelation of St. John, looking at biblical texts, uh, the Bhagavad Gita, the Zendavesta, the Quran, looking at magic and miracle in those texts. There's a lot of stuff packed into this book. It's a lot cheaper, a lot smaller than the big occult book. But in these books, I try to put things that are very universal. So when you see movies like Oppenheimer, you can point out, oh, look, that's the sigil of Jupiter. And then you can go reference it and be like, oh, I read that in this book. I saw that in that movie. Now I know what that is. Uh, those books are available, Garden of Hallucinations, Occult Arcana, uh, at the website link, thesecretteachings.info. And super quickly, I want to mention that, you know that Elon Musk unveiled the new Twitter X? Oh, yes. X all over the place, huh? Yes, X all over the place. The blue bird in any symbol dictionary, I have an old symbol dictionary, it says the blue bird is a symbol of consciousness. So the media has reported consciousness or the blue bird has been killed by Elon Musk and replaced by an X. What is that X? It's the active and passive the two merging to create a third nexus point in the middle. That's the gateway or the portal. Also, you see the New York Times has said that they don't know where COVID came from this last week. It's not a lab. It's not a wet mark. They don't know. It's variant X now. And of course, the CDC says that we need to worry about a triple-demic, triple-demic, Trinity. All these things were acknowledged or mentioned the weekend of the Barbenheimer release or the few days after it. We're trying to solve for X. That's what I'll be doing Friday on Ground Zero Radio. Uh, and then the secret teachings right after that. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I can't. I can't wait to to listen to that. It'll be a double whammy. And oh, one more thing there too. I remember the years leading up to 2020. I, I think going back, it, it had to be at least 2012, 13, or something. That the Bill Gates articles warning about 
so-called disease X. That's what he yeah, was. Yeah. He was talking. He actually used that term disease X for years, saying that, listen, disease X is coming and we need to be and ready the 28, for it. 2018 Claydex exercise by Johns Hopkins called it Claydex, unknown virus. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. But it's it's it just the pattern repeats itself. So I uh, I was when 2020 rolled around and not only we got a, a virus, but also the the leading man that we needed to invest all of our hope in getting us through it was Bill Gates. And then, of course, we saw how much he was invested in things like Event 201 and everything else there, too. Said, oh, boy, boy, oh, boy. Well, they. this is why, uh, Ryan, people go out to see movies that, like Oppenheimer, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're going to go see the Napoleon film as well. I will be. I will be, no doubt. Um, I, have yeah, to catch yeah, yes. up, I have to catch up on these. But... Um, this is why when people go see these movies, they wonder, what are they telling us and what are they warning us about? Because for as much as a movie, you know, sometimes cigar is just a cigar, um, as much as a movie can just be a movie, and obviously, depending on who's telling the story, they're trying to get a certain point across, uh, we are seemingly warned, forewarned about things all of the time. I mean, hindsight being... There is predictive programming, an immense amount of it. No doubt about it. And after living through uh, 2020, 2021, up until right now, hindsight being 2020, we saw everything moving in motion leading up to February, March of 2020, of what it was, the people who were giving us certain warnings, the uh, all of the, the intelligence and all of the pharmaceutical companies that were very uh, eerily coordinated and ready for whatever, the simulations that were in place. So I, that's why I don't blame anybody for, for digging into movies to see whether or not they are telling us what is coming. They're doing the same thing up in Maricopa County here in Arizona. They brought in cooling units for all the dead bodies from the heat. But it's not based on real bodies. It's based on estimates. And now the so-called heat wave is over. But they started to bring in the cooling units just like hospitals prepared for that big wave of COVID. The cycle's restarting. SARS-CoV-2 is just another version, or CO2 is another version of SARS-CoV-2. You get the CO2 in the SARS-CoV-2. They're going to try to run the same scam with the climate as well. Well, well, we, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. I think it may be because the second quarter numbers for Pfizer sales were down 54%. And they That's don't why li- there's another wave. You're right. Yeah, there's another <laughs> wave now. Yeah, they don't like that. They don't like that. It was uh, it was easy money for too long. All right, Ryan Gable, uh, all of his information is at his website. That is linked in the description. So awesome to have you back after all these months. Go check out his new book. Go get the old books as well. And, Ryan, uh, let's talk and, and let's figure out what the next, the next uh, topic is for our next call. Yeah, sure thing. And let's have you on the secret teaching sometime. That would be great. And if you can call in Friday to Ground Zero, that would be cool too. Oh, man. You should, I mean, you should call in. I, I won't have long to take calls, but you should call in. Oh, I'll, I'll try, like I said, if I am listening live as I'm driving back from Giant Stadium, I will. Uh, I'll try to do that from my car. That would be so awesome. I've I've tried to call Clyde a couple times, but never got in. But uh, we'll we'll work it out, man. Thanks for everything tonight. All right, you have a good night. Thank you. All right, later. There you go, Ryan Gable. Spent some really quality time with us tonight, and um, and yeah, so. Uh, I only have a couple of moments to to do some to some other stuff over here. I want to get into some super chats. I know there's a there's a few that came in, one or two at least. Um, over on Foxhole, thank you, Robert Sarns. Thank you, Sean Joe. Those came in without messages, but I know what they meant. 
They just had a great time. I hope everybody else enjoyed themselves elsewhere. Uh, Katie Sky wrote in, said, At the end of Barbie, they say that patriarchy is made up concept. Try to explain away confusing feelings about life as a woman. The movie is about how feminism has gone too far. Yes, way too far. It started. And how poorly they were treating their Kens. It takes a positive turn. Well, that's good. That's good. We'll see. I'll, I'll check it out one day. Um, that one I'm not going to pay for. That one I'm definitely not going to pay for. But I'll, I'll, uh, I'll check it out one day. Especially since the ironic marketing has been slapped together like this. That's what really made it all. It was more so about Oppenheimer tonight. The the Barbie thing. I don't really care about the deep dive into bar. I see other people doing it. I've seen a lot of men and women tear it to shreds, some having lukewarm opinions about it. Some were surprisingly positive, but it, it was less of an, a, less of a, um, less of an interest to me than outside of the surface level marketing to pair two things that you would expect to be oil and water together and, um, and to go from there. So, Thank you again to Ryan Gable. Now, I am going to... Actually, I will take a really quick break. A very tiny break. And when we come back, I think I have the Chinese zoo bear. I have the bear, and then i got to get off in about seven minutes from now because i got to prepare for our first session of book club for The Devil in the White City. Don't go anywhere. Wonderful night in a nice tight package. and um, And we're on our way. Did you wash your ass today? Move! Why, why do you have to look at the accident? Wait, wait, you've never seen an accident before? Ridiculous! So proudly we hailed at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars were so gallantly there, as the rockets were there, and the twilight's last gleaming, and the rockets gla red glare. Were so gallantly there, burst stripes were all there, and the rockets were there. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet glaze for the land of the free? Man. 
The mouse with the overbite explained how the rabbit. What the hell is this song about? I have no idea. You guys are idiots. This song is very deep. Inside the three-eyed monkey within inches of his toaster oven life. Rockets were there. Everybody was there. He was just taking attendance. That's what he was doing at the end. Poor guy. Listen, that is a hard song to sing. Very the the Star Spangled. Ba- I honestly, I don't even like it as a national anthem. I really don't. I think God Bless America is um, is a is a better national anthem. I really do. Uh, as a poem, just I think Francis Scott Key knocked it out of the park. I think it's a great poem turned into a very patriotic song, but I always preferred God Bless America. Especially especially when Ronan Tynan, Dr. Ronan Tynan would sing it at Yankee Stadium before he lost his livelihood for making a, a joke about Jews. Can't make a joke about Jews. <laughs> uh, can't, can't do that. I forgot what, what the story was. Ronan Tynan was, he was in his, uh, like a, his apartment building in New York City, and someone was being shown an apartment near his, and uh, as they were being shown the place by the real estate agent, he sees Ronan Tynan, or I don't know, there's some kind of an exchange, uh, and they had a short exchange, hey, how are you? Oh, you're looking into it? Well, oh, and there's some kind of personal information exchange. He said something like, well, as long as you're not Jewish, which is... I can just tell from the writing it was a joke. Anyway, Ronan Tynan. That was the... I loved listening to him sing that Yankee Stadium. Especially right after 9-11. That was... um, Tremendous voice. Really was. Uh, Alright, here is the bear. Let me go full screen on this one. Let me go... Hold on. Alright, take a look at this. Let's see if we can get a look. Right. It's standing. It's looking. Right. What? Oh, I don't know. Wait. I I think that's real. I think that was real. Yeah, I know. I know the back there. You see all the ripples in the back. It looks like a costume. It looks like somebody's. Uh, I don't know. It's it's the way it's the way it went down. Looking for whatever the hell they they sent it. Look, hold on. Try to grab it. Try to grab it with his mouth. First, somebody threw something at the bear. Try to grab it with his mouth, and then went down. And I don't know. There's something. I think that's a real bear. At least that one is, at least. That's a real bear. 
I do. If you don't think it is, let me know, please. And I'll, uh, and then I'll just acknowledge that somebody disagrees with me because I still think it's a real bear. I don't put it past the Chinese to have human beings step into costumes to sell admission, you know, sell tickets at a zoo. I don't put it past them. But that one in particular, I think is real. What do you guys think? Real? Yeah, somebody said real. Spud Hill said real in, in, uh, in, um, in the, the rumble. Annie in the rumble said, my daughter just said, it's a sun bear. You see? Annie's daughter knows. Jay Semos is another great show. I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you liked it. If you have any topics for future, future shows with Ryan Gable, let me know. We can go anywhere with that one. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for everything. It's been a wonderful time. And uh, tomorrow we'll start our Thursday expedition. We're going to be talking about grief tomorrow night and dealing with it, building back. We have a great, great guest, and I hope that you're here for it. It'll be the last show of the week, um, the official show of the week. I'll go live over the weekend at some point. And... Um, and yeah, but thank you again to Ryan Gable. Thank you, everybody at home. It's about time to start up our book club. So get your books, get your little orphan Annie decoder ring, and uh, we're on our way. See you tomorrow. Good night. And always remember, that's... Quite frankly, is film before a live studio audience. And now our super chatter, starting with Robert Sarns, Sean Joe, uh, Jay Semo, and Katie Sky. That's it for tonight, ladies and gents. I will see you soon. Good night. Take care of yourself.